This morning's reading comes from 2 Samuel, chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. And it's on page 310 in the Pew Bibles and on the screen. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them any more as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offering to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's great to be with you on this Pentecost Sunday. Shall we um, begin in prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Um, Father God, on this uh, Pentecost Sunday, we pray that you will speak to us through your word, by your spirit, that you'll lead us into all truth. Please help us as we listen and, and hear. Um, may you guide us and lead us and change us and mould us in the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why do people um, build houses for God? I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Um, Perhaps it's true to say that that in this country, more than um, many, uh, uh, we have a a kind of obsession, don't we, with having our own home. (laughs) We like programmes about um, buying homes. We like programmes about doing up homes. Um, We're a nation of homeowners, particularly. But I wonder whether you've ever considered where God's home is. 
Um, from the beginning of history, people everywhere have had this impulse to um, build God a home, whether it's a, a temple or some kind of shrine or a synagogue. What motivates people to try and build a house for God? Within us, there appears um, to be a kind of deep desire, you see, to, to want to meet with God. It's in us all, whether we actually realise it or not, acknowledge it or not. A desire to have a place where God can, can be with us and bless us and be near us. It's an instinct in us all. We try to do something for God to see if he will somehow bless us through it. See if he'll come down and, and dwell um, with us. We feel that we need to do something for God, for him to make a home with us. That's an instinct in us. I think it's in us all. And, and David has that same instinct and desire. He wanted to build a house for God. You can see that in, in verse 1, if you have your Bibles in front of you um, at uh, 2 Samuel 7. Verse 1 says, After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God, that's the symbolic presence of God, remains in a tent. In one sense, David is fairly guilty, isn't he? He's feeling guilty. God has given him everything, has given him victories in battle. Um, after many years of conflict, he's, the, the nation is at relative peace. Uh, and he's even given him a palace of, uh, made of cedar wood. Uh, you know, it no doubt had ensuite facilities, you know, surround sound, cinema built in, a double garage, a whole lot. You know, you can imagine it being something like that. And suddenly David here thinks he's left God in the cold and, and in the damp, in the garden under a tent. After hundreds of years, uh, was by now in somewhat of a mouldier, perhaps frayed state, the tent, having travelled with them over many years. And David is understandably unhappy about the situation. He can see the, the, the contradiction. And he wants to honour God. He wants to, to, to do something good for God. He, in other words, he has a great idea, a big idea, a good idea. And so he seeks to build God a house. But God has other ideas. And his ideas are more bigger more glorious, more wonderful, more amazing than, than David could perceive and how often we can perceive or see. Because speaks through Nathan and gives David and us a wonderful vision, a brilliant vision of the real house of God. And this house isn't to do with bricks and mortar, but it's to do with a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And we'll think a bit more about that in a moment. Um, but let's first of all think uh, why God doesn't need a house. That might seem obvious to you, but um, it needs to be, we need to be reminded of this. Why God doesn't need a house is there actually in a little bit in verse 5. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? 
I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers who commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? It's as if God is saying, isn't it? Look, David, I've always been with my people. I've always been with my people. You building a house is not the issue. Uh, I want to dwell with my people. I want to dwell with my people. Where they wandered, I wandered. Where they went, I went. What they experienced, I experienced. If they suffered, I went and suffered with them, in a sense. If they were homeless, I'd be homeless with them. Because actually, the big thing is that God wants to be with his people. Remember that, if you remember nothing this morning. God wants. He really wants to be with his people. God would prefer to live in a tent than in a palace, if that meant being close to his people. You see, we don't have to twist God's arm for him to dwell with us, to come to us. We don't have to build him a house, something grand to make him stay. He really, really wants to be with us because he really, really loves us. He has great compassion for us. He has great love for us. Notice in verse 8 how God reminds David of these things. He reminds him of his love. He reminds him of his promises, of what he has done in the past and what he is going to do and keep doing in the, in the future. He says in verse 8, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, he says. And I have cut off all the enemies before you. Now I'll make your name great. And I will provide a place for my people. And so on. He gives all that he's done for them. And you see the point, don't you? If you're a Christian here this morning, there's great comfort here for us in the knowledge that God, by his grace, by his Spirit, is the one who makes the first move towards us. He's the one who comes after you. He's the one who pursues you. He has done it in the past, and he will keep doing it in the present and in the future. So let's not spend our time thinking, how can I keep God with me? Do you think that sometimes? I know I do. Let's not think like, how can I keep him to, to stay with me as if he's somehow going to go from us. Realise that God is not going anywhere. And that's what David had to learn. And so often we have to learn that for ourselves and let the Spirit beat our hearts with it to understand it and to know it and to feel it. David had to learn that lesson. You see, it's, it's, it's God's sheer grace to us. It's his sheer kindness to us. It's extremely important um, principle for us to understand. Um, in ancient times, in these times, um, successful kings um, in battle, they would normally um, come back and want to build 
a temple for their particular deity. It was quite a common thing to do. And then the priest would come along and uh, to the temple uh, and would pronounce some sort of oracle on behalf of the deity, usually along the lines of something like this. Now you've done these things in battle, I will establish your throne um, until a distant day. And you can see the idea being that, that kings build temples and, and, and shrines in the expectation that their God would establish their power and their reign for it, ongoing. And you see how that's the, the, the wrong way around. In, in, and David's about to fall into that same trap here. And, and, and the truth is we often do that. Um, we say things like, may not be I build you a a house, God, but we might say things like, I'll build you a project, or, or I'll, I'll do this or, or, or that for you, God, and, and if you keep your side of the bargain, um, I'll keep my side of the bargain, those sort of pro quo sort of idea of bargaining with God, you know, you rub my back, I'll rub yours, sort of thing. I actually think we try to do that all the time. But the, the God of the Bible is, is not a God that you can bargain with because he's a God of sheer grace, of sheer kindness to us. Um, he, blessing is, is received. You just have to simply receive it. You don't have to do anything for him to come and dwell with you. He does it by his grace. It's a gift. You just receive it. I don't know, how do you approach um, God? Um, do you approach God like you're trying to do him a favour? Um, God graciously at work in the believer, working through the ordinary stuff of life. And it's his idea. It's not our idea. His plan, before it was ever ours, and they certainly don't need to twist God's arm to keep, us with, to keep him with us. He is with us now by his spirit, right now in the believer. If you're a believer here this morning, but perhaps you're not yet a Christian here um, this morning, but you're you're beginning to realise that God is pursuing you by his grace and his love. He is desiring to come and dwell with you, and that he's brought you here this morning even, brought you into conversation with other Christians who have faith, and you see them talking about Jesus, you see them praying to Jesus. And God's purpose is to draw you to himself. And he's gracious, and he longs for that. He longs to dwell with you. And that's the good news. The good news is that you don't need to kind of build him a temple, build him a shrine, do this or do that. You just simply need to receive Because, and this is our sort of second big uh, heading, is that because he will build you a house. He'll build you a house. Um, Let's think about that in verse 11. The Lord, it says, declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. There may be many attempts um, to build houses for God, but notice here that it's God who builds a house for David. And um, it's God who, in a sense, does the same for us. 
And it's a house connected with King David. God has organised things, you see here, things in such a way that we don't get to tell God where he should live, uh, at what postcode or address. No, he, he instead tells us. And that's what he does here. He, he tells us that there's one true house of the Lord, and that's a house he builds for us, that he has built and continues to establish. Um, if you look at verse 12, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, he's talking about David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom forever. See, David was a great king, wasn't he? Um, but his significance actually was in his offspring. Um, so when God speaks here of David's house here, he doesn't mean a house built of bricks and mortar. And sometimes it's quite confusing in this reading, because is he talking about a house, bricks and mortar? But actually here he's talking about a house as in a dynasty, or a dynasty, if you're from America. Is that how they say it in America? A dynasty. I'm getting the nod. <laughs> um, rather like we in this country would say the House of Windsor to refer to um, the royal family. The House of David, you see, is his offspring, it's his lineage. And verse 13 refers to a particular one from that line. It's really significant. It says, he is the one who will build a house for my name and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So the house here this time is the house, the temple built for Solomon. That's why it can get a bit confusing. David's son uh, is Solomon, heir to the throne. But there's something odd here, isn't there, about this kingdom that's going to be established because it says that it's going to be established forever, forever. The history of Israel tells us that Solomon came, he built the temple, yes, but he died like all the other kings. So what does it mean that the kingdom will last forever? And that's where verse 14 helps us. It says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. The true son of David is also God's son and he rules forever. He becomes the mediator of God's love to us, verse 15. But my love will never be taken away from him. You see, God's son is a greater king, even greater than David or, or Solomon. And it's extremely important for us for the whole of this, to understand the whole sweep of the Bible. The rest of 2 Samuel is about the preparation for building the temple. Yes, the the house of God, but the temple, this temple isn't the real house of God. It's only a symbol, remember? It's only a picture that points to the something greater, something bigger to come. The real house of God is the son of David, who is also the son of God, isn't it? The one who comes from David's line, the one who draws men and women everywhere to himself so that we can meet with God so that we can dwell with him. If you go to the New Testament, the very first words in the New Testament in Matthew's Gospel, we read, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. 
You see, according to the Bible, Jesus is King David's greater son. The real house, the real house of David, the real din- dynasty that will last forever. The king that, that's also God's son who will provide for us, for you and for me, a way to meet with God forever. So David's kingdom, David's kingdom here that we're reading about is a picture of Jesus' kingdom, isn't it? David's significance was to whom he was pointing us forward to, to the Son of God, to King Jesus. You see, it's God's nature always to to reach out to us. And he's done that so supremely and so wonderfully through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes from his palace in heaven, if you like, into our kind of filth and mess in this world, a filth and mess and to be born as a baby in a manger with all the the mud and mire around him. He came to us to save us. Uh, Often we read those words, don't we, at Christmas in um, John uh, John 1, 14. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. Literally, he's tabernacled among us. He, He made his tent among us. He pitched a tent within us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we kind of come towards a, a, an end, is, is Jesus your house? That's, that's ultimately the question for each of us this morning. How do you respond to that thought? How do you react to God's amazing plan? Does it sound too far-fetched and out of reach for you this morning? Well, we see David's response here in the second half of um, chapter 7, and next week Nigel will be taking us through that. But David didn't think it was far-fetched or out of reach. No, what is his response? His response is one of humility, one of gratitude to the, the wonderful grace that he has been shown. And that should really be our response as well this morning. When we realise that Jesus is the real house of God, the place to meet God, God has made it possible for us to live with God forever. That God has come near to us. What is our response? It shouldn't just merely be a kind of shrug our shoulders and walk out the church and, and have our lunch together. Our response should be one of prayer and of gratitude as David does that in the second half of the chapter. We began, didn't we, with that question, why do people build houses for God? Why do people build houses for God? It's because we think we have to do something to keep him in order for him to to stick around. We have to somehow do something for him. But building houses for God isn't going to bring him nearer to us. Because by his grace, he sent his son, who is that house, that dynasty, to be with us, to come near us. And actually, not just to be near us, if you think about it on this Pentecost Sunday, to actually dwell within us, in each of us, by faith in the Lord Jesus It's an incredible thought. It was an incredible thought that was um, exercised Paul in the New Testament. 
As he said this in, and I'll end with this, in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3, he says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? An incredible thought that God by his spirit dwells within us by faith in the Lord Jesus. Isn't it extraordinary? That's how close he is to him. When we receive Jesus, he is with us. You don't have to bend his arm. He is with us. Shall we pray? Let's pray. God, our Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the reminder here in your scripture of, of your plan that was was right there at the beginning, all the way through the the Old Testament, about Jesus coming to dwell with us, to save us. Thank you that it is by your grace that you've come to us. And we just simply receive that. Forgive us for the times when we try to, to do things, to try and make you stay with us. But you're here by your love and your grace. And as we realize that your spirit is in us, We pray that he would so pound our hearts that we would be moulded and shaped into the people that you've called us to be, to live and serve you, to witness to your great love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.